Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. We spoke about last week, this year's Lenten midweek series is on communion fellowship, and more specifically, the question so many do have inside and outside of the Lutheran Church, why isn't communion for everybody? Why can't everybody who comes partake of the Lord's Supper? And more specifically, what are the criteria? What are the standards that make it so? Last week we talked about the first three things that are necessary to approach the Lord's altar at this and congregations that we are in fellowship. Namely, a person must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They must be catechized and taught what it is that the Lord's Supper is and does. And yes, in their heart and with their lips, they must confess and believe what the Lord's Supper is and does. That is to say, they must wash before supper. They must be taught what they are partaking of and they must believe it personally. Well, this week we are going to talk about this. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, is for the penitent. That is, it is for those who are sorry, sorry before God for the sins that they have committed and have indeed turned away from them. The third lesson we had tonight talks about Levi's conversion. Of course, it is true, the tax collectors of our Lord's day made the IRS look like a cakewalk. They were really corrupt people. They would always ask for more than they were required to get, and people knew it, and there was absolutely nothing that they could do about it. Truly, they were sinners. They were horrible people that did horrible things to their neighbors, to their brothers. And so it's natural then when Jesus is eating in Levi's house with all of his tax collector friends, people are grumbling about it. They're indignant. Why would you do that? Why would you spend time with those people? And of course, that encounter opened the way for Jesus' response, which I bet all of us know in some form or another. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the crux of why he came. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world not to give a merit or participation award to the deserving, but he came into this world to seek and save the undeserving, to seek and save the lost. And the lost are those who know that they need him. They have no delusions about how good they are, that they're good enough. They know that they are sinners. And moreover, they are those who trust in what this Jesus, what this Son of God brings with him, namely pardon and mercy. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, as we talked about last week, he said in no uncertain terms so clearly what the supper was for, not just what it was, his body and blood, but what it was for, 
the forgiveness of sins. We eat and drink the body and blood of the Son of God under bread and wine so that our sins may be forgiven. That's a wonderful gift, isn't it? Of all the gifts you can receive in this world, find one that's better than that, please, and tell me about it. We are, of course, as Christians, even still in the flesh. The old Adam clings to us. We're weighed down by guilt and shame of the things that we did 20 years ago. We're weighed down by guilt and shame of the things we did 20 minutes ago. But our Lord has given us a pledge and a token that we are not under his wrath, but we are instead under his grace. Now, there's no catch to this. It is as good as it sounds, but there's an important qualification, and that is truly what it is. To have our sins forgiven by our dear Lord Jesus Christ, we must actually be sorry for them. We must actually repent of those sins. There are two problems in the third lesson with the Pharisees and their scribes, their lackeys, being all upset about Jesus dining with the tax collectors, eating with sinners. They didn't, they didn't see or admit that Jesus was not affirming their sin, that of the tax collectors. And second, those Pharisees and scribes that were so upset weren't themselves owning their own sin. In the first place, yes, Jesus did dine with them. He hung out with people that it just really wasn't good for your reputation to hang out with. But it wasn't just so he could go and meet them where they were and leave them there. But it was to draw them from that death path that they were living of lying, cheating, and stealing away from it back to life, life with God. His presence with those people was not sanctioning. It wasn't approving their wicked life choices. His presence with them was a life raft, as it were, that he was tossing to them, a line. He was there not to endorse their tax collecting, but to get them to stop it. And as much as seen by the fact of what happens to Levi, you know Levi, you just know him by his other name, Matthew who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament that bears his name. You know other tax collectors. You know Zacchaeus, similar situation. And you know what happened when Jesus dined with him. He wasn't affirmed in his cheating and his lying of his brothers in Israel. But he promised, I'll give back double what I've taken. I'm going to come clean. In coming for sinners, Jesus came to forgive the penitent, the repentant, the sorrowful, not to affirm the unrepentant. And to the second place, those Pharisees and scribes who were upset with Jesus dining with the sinners and tax collectors, they had a deficient, a very deficient understanding of themselves, did they not? The Pharisees thought, as we see so often throughout the Gospels, they thought that they, because of their status, because of their position, because of their way of life, they thought that they deserved commendation from God as they were. Remember the one praying in the temple? His prayer to God is, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like those sinners over there and that tax collector right there. But truly, as James tells us, Lutherans love this verse, and we ought to, whoever keeps the whole law in every part 
but is guilty of breaking just a little bit of it, has become guilty of breaking the entire thing, and certainly, as an effect, has the wrath of God on him. And such is the case for every human being, no matter how highly they might think of themselves, no matter how highly other people might think of them. The Pharisees should not have been upset that Jesus ate and spent time with tax collectors and sinners, but you know what they should have done? They should have joined him. They should have gone and sat there and have been grateful for the opportunity. And that brings us to the point tonight. Communion is not for those who think that they don't need to repent of anything. It is not for those who refuse to turn from an active sin that they want to hold on to. It's not for them. Rather, communion is for who Jesus instituted it for. The poor and the broken. The sorrowful who say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner who mean it and want to let go of the sin that clings to them. Those who confess and repent. Communion is actually a meal, not for the righteous, not for good Christians as it were. It's a meal for sinners, but only those who don't want to just make peace with their sin and want other people to make peace with it too. If we have things in our lives that God's word says are sinful and that we know are sinful, but that we refuse to abandon, that we refuse to change, well then when we come to this meal, truly I'm telling you, we are not eating and drinking the blessing that Jesus wanted to give to us by it, but we are eating and drinking judgment as we heard Paul tell us from his epistle to the Corinthians last week. If we want to hold on to our sin and to Jesus at the same time, in the end we will be left without Jesus and only the sin and what comes with it. We sang about this actually right after the sermon last week. You can turn to it tonight, mark it down. Hymn 628 in our hymnals, one of our communion hymns, first stanza. Your table I approach, dear Savior, hear my prayer. Let not an unrepentant heart prove hurtful to me there. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, the Eucharist, his body and blood, it's a glorious feast. It's a magnificent thing, one we ought to truly treasure in our corporate life as a congregation and in our individual lives as Christians but it is for only those who want what it offers. Forgiveness of sins repented of, sins let go. Just as being blood children of Abraham doesn't avail anybody anything, being baptized or even confirmed does not either, at least in and of themselves. The true sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and a contrite heart or to use the language of our prayers in the liturgy, it's repentant faith. Faith which says, I am sorry, I was wrong, I want to do better. If we come to the Lord's table with this, this repentant trust in our redeeming Savior in his blood, and a true confession and resolve to let go of the wickedness that clings to us or that we cling to, well then there, here, we will be received so ever gladly by the good physician who is 
faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.